You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Now, before we start this morning, I do want to give a little update or our plan for the next couple of weeks and even months when it comes to the word. This morning, we won't be getting back into our Gospel of John series. I know some of you are expecting that, but you'll have to wait until about mid-March for that. That's because in February, we're going to be uh, tackling a topic or or a new series that I think is very relevant to our church today and even uh, the the season that that we're in and the world around us. And of course, this morning, we are going to be starting a new uh, vision casting series called Faith Goals. Faith Goals. In this series, we plan to refresh in our minds the vision of our church to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and as well as lay out sort of a blueprint in which we can fulfill our mission as a church to reach people and revolve and reflect the love of Christ. In this new series, my hope is to give us practical ways, practical steps, if you will, in which we can live out the vision and mission of our church, especially as we step into this new season in this new year of church life. My desire as your pastor is to see you all grow spiritually and and spiritually mature and flourish in your walk with Christ, as, as well as see our church grow. Now, in order to fulfill our vision, I think we as a community, and individually, of course, need to take some steps of faith, the steps of faith that will facilitate that growth. That's why we as a church will be embarking on some faith goals this year. You know, church, I I do have a confession for you. You know, on my spare time, I have had the guilty pleasure of uh, watching something that a lot of these children's are, these kids are calling, what's it called? A TikTok? Maybe you've heard of that, right? Am I saying that right? TikTok, right? Um, well, you know, I, I find a lot of amusement in, in, those, in some of those videos, right? There's a lot of funny stuff on there. Something that I, I, I often watch are these couple pranks. Have you seen these, right? These, these, these couples who are playing pranks on each other. It's really funny. Of course, I'd never pull a prank on my wife because I'm not ready to meet Jesus yet. But other than that, right, we have lots of work to do here on this earth, right? But I, I find a lot of amusement. But it's interesting that if you watch these videos, it's usually tagged with hashtag relationship goals, right? You ever see this? It's like as if what they're doing and that relationship is the ideal relationship to pursue. It's not, right? It's not, right? But similarly, what I want us to do in this short series is look at examples from Scripture of, of people that we can look up to in our own faith, as well as even how we want our church to grow. See, I think naturally Christians are pragmatic, right? We look at another church and we see them doing something and we see sort of a success happening at that church. And it's like, hey, I wanna, we want to do that as well, right? We should apply that to our church as well. And, and I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that, but I believe that there is no better example for us to adapt, to imitate than the examples we see in the Bible, right? In scripture. I mean, the apostle Peter, on the day of Pentecost, he preached one sermon and it says that 5,000 men were added to the church. That's not even women and children, and that's not even including women and children, right? 5,000 souls were added to the church. That's amazing. 
In our passage alone, it talks about how after Paul and, and Timothy's missionary journeys in Lystra, it talks about how, uh, how, how the numbers to the church were increased daily. People were getting saved daily. Talk about faith goals, right? Now, that's something to aspire to and something, that, something to pursue in our own church. And so, and so that's what we want to do with this new series. We want to glean from Scripture examples of what we should be doing individually and what we should be doing as a community to see our church grow and to see each other grow, to see our own faith grow, to see our vision and mission of the church come to fruition. And so with that said... The first faith goal that we'll be embarking on in this series is, is to reach a people. To reach a people. Ask the person beside you, are you ready? It sounds like no one's ready here. What is going on? Right? Ask the person beside you, are you ready to reach a people? I guess not. <laughs> Some people are just half awake. Do we have coffee back there, hopefully? No? Okay. Um, now, I will tell you straight off the bat, church, we're, we're going to go old school with this one, this, this particular goal. Our goal to reach a people is not going to be achieved by, by gimmicks or, or doing a, sort of a giveaway or, or whatever these other churches do to attract unbelievers uh, to their church. We want to make sincere followers of Christ, not superficial consumer Christians right? Uh, a quick way for creating superficial Christians, by the way, is by offering them something to consume right from the beginning, right? Like, you know, come to our church because we play cool music, right? Or come to our church because, you know, uh, we do things to entertain you. Or come to our church because, hey, you know, we'll have, we have talks, right? And we don't talk about sin and we don't talk about all these things, right? Well, you know, again, the, the reason why there are many worldly Christians out there is because there are a lot of worldly churches, unfortunately. How do you expect believers to be not of the world when your methods are from the world? So, uh, so here at Plus Life, we're, we're going to keep it simple. We're going to keep it biblical. We're going to practice discipleship. Discipleship. Discipleship is the key to church growth. Unlike these other methods, discipleship is a process to maturity, not a promise of prosperity. Discipleship is educating. It's educating people. It's not entertaining them. Discipleship is not about a quick fix or a temporary spiritual high. It's about a patient endurance. It's a methodical growth to maturity. It's about lives changed by the gospel. That's our vision. That's what we want to promote and practice in our church, of course. In fact, it's what we're called to do as believers, right? It's the Great Commission. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and in the name of the Father and Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It doesn't say anything about doing giveaways or having some sort of program or doing something to attract unbelievers. And we certainly don't see the apostles doing that in the early church, right? If anything, they're doing quite the opposite. Peter's message on Pentecost told people to repent. It called them out on their sin. It called them out to receive Jesus for redemption, the Great Commission is about making disciples, baptizing, observing the commands of Christ. And that's how we will reach people. 
Of course, there are nuances to that, and we'll discuss that as we go along in this series, but discipleship is our methodology. Now, something to clarify is, is something, I think every time we hear the word discipleship, we, we think about you know, going out with another believer and having coffee with them, talking about life, maybe doing a Bible study, and that is part of it, that's definitely part of it, but it's not all of it. Biblically speaking, Discipleship encompasses the entire life of a Christian, from regenerated unbeliever to redeemed saint on the deathbed ready to meet the Savior. Discipleship starts with evangelism and ends in glory. It's about building relationships, relationships that last until, uh, until either the disciple or the disciple maker goes home to be with the Lord. And we see that example in Scripture. Our passage tonight, or this morning, I should say, recalls the moment where, where Paul takes on a young Timothy to be his disciple. Where that relationship ends is in 2 Timothy, where Paul is writing to him from prison, and he knows that he's ready to go and meet the Savior. That's the kind of relationship we want to build and cultivate in our church. Relationships that regardless of where the Lord takes us, takes you, whether it's the, the mission fields of Japan or, or a prison cell here in Canada, right? Uh, that, that our mission, our, our desire, our commitment to, to minister to one another, to edify one another, to encourage one another would not diminish. That despite the distance and the trials that we might face in this life together, we are still committed to lifelong discipleship, partnership with one another for the kingdom of God. Church, isn't that something to aspire to? Isn't that something, a culture, a, a, a dream, a goal that we as a church should seek to achieve? If you think so, then, then let's jump into our passage and let's learn from Paul how to be a disciple maker. Someone say jump. Amen. Our passage picks up in the middle of, of one of Paul's missionary journeys, right? It says in, in, in our passage, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So we read in 2 Timothy how this young believer, Timothy, was brought up in the faith by his mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois. Scholars believe that these two uh, women came to faith in Paul's first missionary journey to Lystra. So keep that in mind as we go, go along. Verse 2, it says, He, Timothy, was well spoken of by the brothers and Lystra and, at Lystra in Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. Now, here's the first step of being a disciple maker, of achieving our goal to reach a people. Listen to this, right? Very simple. Train a disciple. Say, train a disciple. It's very straightforward, very basic, I know, but please understand there is much weight and responsibility to this step and should not be taken lightly. See, the biblical concept of discipleship is really foreign to our modern-day Christian understanding. Technically, it's more like an apprenticeship, if you know what that is. We, we talked a little about this in our Gospel of John series, but whenever a rabbi would take up a disciple for himself, he would need to make sure that that disciple, uh, that candidate, was up to the task, up to the challenge, that he would be capable of handling the so-called yoke of that rabbi, the, the, the teachings of that rabbi, along with the various practices, of course. The rabbi would have to ensure that the disciple, uh, the candidate, would be able to represent him well. 
Now, once that candidate was accepted by the rabbi to be a disciple, he would then ha- that disciple would then have to shadow the rabbi in every aspect of life. It was whether it's how the, the rabbi walked down the street. Or, whether, or what time the rabbi ate his food, or how he ate his food, even how, he, how the rabbi talked. Every gesture, every habit, even how the, the things that the rabbi liked, the disciple was to observe how, how he did it and imitate him. The goal was to make literally a, a sort of a clone or a, a duplicate of that rabbi and his teachings. And that's exactly what Jesus calls us believers to do. Again, let's go back to the Great Commission. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism, as we know, is how we identify ourselves as a follower of Christ. Similar to how a disciple would declare themselves a student of a certain or a specific rabbi, we are declaring through baptism who our rabbi is, who it is that we are shadowing and imitating. And in case you didn't know, that's literally what Christian means. The word Christian, if we see from the book of Acts 11, it was initially a derogatory term that unbelievers called the followers of Christ, calling them little Christ. That's what it means, little Christ. In fact, they were saying that we were little versions of Jesus. Was, uh, they were using it as a hate term, but it's probably, probably one of the best compliments that you could ever receive, right? If someone, is, if someone has ever said to you, oh, you're so, you're so like Jesus, like, oh, that's a compliment, right? Because that's the end goal. That's what we want to strive towards, so, so we, we, we are to go and make disciples, right? And of course, Jesus says in, the, in that great commission, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The same way that a disciple observes the rabbi and practices and learns all his teaching and his methods, that's what a disciple of Christ is to do as well. That's the goal of discipleship. Assuming that we are imitating Christ, we are to train up others to, imit- to, to be imitators of Christ as well. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me as I, as I am of Christ. That's discipleship. Discipleship is simply passing on the lessons you've learned in your own Christian walk, the truths that you've learned from Scripture, the, the best practices that the Spirit has shaped in you we are creating little Christ. That's what it means to train a disciple. Paul brings Timothy along on his missionary journey so that Timothy could learn from him, so that Timothy could grow to maturity in his faith. And again, it doesn't stop there because, again, Peter, or rather Paul and Timothy, even after they're separated, we see that the, the letters to Paul or the letters that Paul writes to Timothy are still training him, still encouraging, still edifying him. That's the goal. That's the kind of commitment to discipleship that we want to cultivate in our church. But it all starts with training a disciple. So here's, here's the challenge, church, right? Here's the goal for, for us this year, all right? Write this down if you're writing down notes. Find someone to disciple. Find someone to disciple. Underline that, bold it, write it down a couple more times. Find someone to disciple. Just one, at least for now. 
Pray about it. Ask God to highlight someone in your life, maybe someone in the church or someone outside of the church. Anybody that the Spirit leads you to believe has the potential to be a worthy disciple of Christ. Because remember what our passage says, verse 2, Timothy was well spoken of by the brothers, meaning that his conduct was already a testimony of someone who was willing to grow, someone who was already growing and, and, and wanting to mature in the faith. So in the same way, find someone who has or who is showing signs or, or, or who is showing signs of, of, of wanting to mature in the faith, who is seeking after God, who is desiring to, to know more of God. And, and you know what? It, it can even be an unbeliever. Like I said, right? Discipleship starts with evangelism. Find an unbeliever who is showing signs of a regenerated heart, someone who is asking questions and seeking God and has the desire to know more about the faith. It can even be a child, uh, you know, a toddler. You know, my son, you know, he's up for grabs if you want, right? Uh, but it can, it, seriously, because as we just read, right, Timothy was first discipled by his mom and his grandmother in the faith. So, so find someone to disciple. Then once you do, commit to that person. Walk with that person. Check up on them. Keep them accountable. Invite them to your home. Go out for a meal. Again, share the lessons that God has been sharing with you, teaching you. Share, the, share what works for you, uh, how you pray, or, or what you pray for even. Whatever it is, pour out onto someone what God has been pouring into you. And listen, if you feel as though you're not ready to take on a disciple, if you feel like, you know, God is still working some things in you, listen, here's a challenge for you this year. Be a disciple. Be a disciple. If you can't be a Paul right now, then be a Timothy. If you're not ready to make a disciple, then be a disciple. Submit yourself to the teaching, the care, accountability of someone older than you in the faith, someone more mature in the faith. And trust me, there will always be someone more mature than you in the faith. But if you want to see your faith grow, if you want to see spiritual maturity take place in your own life, then be a disciple. I can testify to that, right? I wouldn't be here this morning ranting about discipleship unless I was convinced that it worked, that the process worked. And the reason why I'm convinced it, was, it, it works is because I've been discipled my entire life. Um, I'm sure some of you know Pastor Paul Tuck. He's, he's definitely my mentor. He, he's my spiritual father. He, he led me to Christ when I was 13 years old in a church camp. And he still walks with me, still edifies me, sends me messages sometimes. Uh, just, to, just to edify me in my walk with, uh, with, with God. It, it takes a lot of work and a lot of commitment and time, but I've had the privilege of being discipled, and as a result, I'm discipling others. So church, train a disciple. And if not, be a disciple. Listen, can you imagine the growth that our church would see, would experience, if each and every one of us was discipling someone? or being discipled by someone, who in turn would disciple someone else, and then their disciple would disciple someone else. Paul says to Timothy in his second letter to him, what you have heard from me to the, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach, other, who will be able to teach others also. That's multiplication. That's church growth. That's how we cultivate mature Christians and not shallow believers. That's how we reach people and see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Discipleship. So again, the faith goal this year for every one of us, train a disciple or be a disciple. 
And if you need further help with that, if you need resources or want to talk more of how that looks like, please talk to me after the service and, and would definitely love to, to put you on the right track. Now, going back to our passage, Paul doesn't just make Timothy his disciple, but we also see him target a people, target a people. In verse 3, it says, again, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was Greek. Talk about a cost of discipleship, right? I mean, can you imagine, Timothy? It's like, I'm sorry, I have to do what now, right? Just to reach the Greek people. By the way, right, that's not a, a faith goal, right? Uh, right? That's, you, you can leave that part out unless the Lord leads you to that. And if that's the case, I'm sorry for you, brother. Um, but, you know, it says Paul understood that. So, so this happened because Paul understood that in order to reach the Jews of Lystra, Timothy had to be circumcised. Now, this text is actually highly controversial among scholars and, and theologians because if read wrong, Paul comes out looking like a hypocrite. And that's because if you know your Bible, you can recall a time where Peter and Paul had some issues, a conflict, and, and, and that had to be resolved. You can read about that in Galatians chapter 2. But essentially what happened was Peter and Paul were eating with some Gentile Christians in Antioch, and some Jewish Christians walked in. Now in Jewish culture, it, it's kind of taboo, forbidden by, uh, by the Jews to eat with Gentiles. So Peter, under pressure left the, the, the Gentile Christians to eat with the Jewish Christians, the, a, a group called the Circumcision Party. And we read how Paul called him out on it. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 14, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, this is Peter, before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Meanwhile, in our passage, it seems like Paul is doing the same thing here, right? Timothy was technically a Gentile because his, his father was a Greek. And in order to reach the Jews in Lystra, Paul circumcised Timothy. He's, he's catering to that Jewish cultural norm. So is Paul a hypocrite for doing this? No, I don't believe so because of two reasons. Who this act was for and the intent of that act, right? Peter did what he did for these Jewish believers, these, these Jewish believers who had yet to mature to the point in their faith where they could fellowship with Gentiles. Meanwhile, who did Paul circumcise Timothy for? The unbelieving Jews. Paul and Timothy did what they had to do to reach their target people, to be, to be able to bring the gospel to this unbelieving group of Jews in Lystra. That was their target and their intent. While Peter was trying to pacify the, 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 these immature Jewish Christians, Paul and Timothy did whatever it took to try and bring the gospel to the lost. Here's a takeaway. In our effort to reach a target people, commit to doing whatever it takes, short of sin, just to bring the gospel to them. In our effort to bring or to, to target a people with the gospel, to bring the gospel to a people, commit to whatever it takes short of sin to bring the gospel to them. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I love this, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 19, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. 
To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. That's what, that's what Paul is doing here. That's what he's talking about. That's the goal. He related to unbelievers. He ate with them, probably stayed with them in their, in their houses, in, their, in his missionary journeys. He, he, met the, he met them where they were at just to bring the gospel, even risking his own life. As mentioned, this was Paul's second missionary journey to Lystra. And if you've read through the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 14, the first time he was in Lystra, his first missionary journey, the Jews stoned him to the point where they thought he was dead. Yet here was Paul back at it again. Even after that incident, Paul comes back to bring the gospel to these Jews in Lystra. That's how committed Paul was to reaching this people, to sharing the gospel to them, even if they wanted to take his life. Ask yourself, when was the last time you went out of your way just to share the gospel? Not out of convenience, not because you had the time, not because you were pressured to doing it, but because you willfully, desiring to see the gospel reach to, to, to the lost, you went out of your way, you sacrificed your time, you, you paid a cost just to share the gospel. And by the way, what we're talking about here is different from what we talked about earlier, how churches are putting on a show or coming up with gimmicks to attract people to the church. Churches today are trying to, to bring believers in at the cost of kicking sacred and holy things out. What Paul is doing here is the opposite. He's bringing the gospel to them. He's adapting without compromising. He's being in the world without being of the world, all to see the loss reached by the, for, uh, all, all to see the loss reached by the gospel. It's the same tactic that missionaries like, like James Hudson Taylor in his ministry did, right? Prior to his efforts in China, missionaries would go to China and have the people learn English and dress like Westerners and then invite them to a church so that they could hear the gospel in English. Meanwhile, James Hudson Taylor learned the language. He understood the culture, even dressed like the people in order to bring the gospel to a Chinese people. And listen... That tactic is not just for missionaries. That's the same kind of effort that we ought to have when it comes to reaching the lost for Christ. So here's the goal, right? The first one, what was the first goal? Be a disciple, right? Or make a disciple, train a disciple. Here's the second goal, right? Target a people. Target a people. Maybe it's your coworkers. Maybe it's your, your old high school friends. Maybe it's your neighborhood. Whoever or wherever it is, make the effort to get to know them, to understand their needs, to understand their culture, even the way that they are thinking, and then intentionally pray for God to open a door so that you can bring the gospel into their lives in their context. Listen, you don't need to be called to a foreign country to be a missionary. In fact, if you feel like you're being led to be a missionary somewhere else in the world, but you fail to, to evangelize your own backyard, I would question that call. All of us are missionaries, and all of us have a mission field. It starts at home, in the office, in our schools, in our neighborhood. 
God has strategically placed us in the various communities that we are in so that we can bring the light of the gospel to a darkened people. And again, that's the great commission. Go therefore and make disciples. The idea of going here is not the command. The command is to make disciples. The going part is the context of that. In the original Greek, it's better read as, as you are going. Meaning, as you are going to the grocery store, as you are going to school, as you are going to work, make disciples. Again, all of us are missionaries and all of us have a mission field. Target a people. Figure out a people who God is calling you to lead. And and a good place to start is where you're at right now. Your workplace, your school, your family. Figure out which which people God has called you to. And pray that God would open a door to bring the gospel in, to have those conversations. One last thing we, we, we learned from Paul from our passage before we close, very briefly, teach the word. Teach the word. It says in verse 4, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. Paul and Timothy were going around passing on the commands and teachings that the apostles in Jerusalem had concluded on. Though those commands and teachings were not written down yet, the two missionaries were actually teaching the word. And as as a result, verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. People were saved as a result of them teaching the word. This point is to simply say, you cannot just live out the gospel, you must preach it as well. Yes, it's important for unbelievers to see that that the way you live, that your life is different from the rest of the world, but unless you know it's because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they'll just think that you're a good person. I've said this before, and many unbelievers will die knowing that we are good people, but never knowing that it's Christ who makes us good. Romans 10 Romans chapter 10, verse 13 to 17 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the promise. That's the hope that we are presenting to the lost. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord who, has, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's the order. Not by our works, not by how we present ourselves or, or, or our kindness. Faith comes from hearing the words of Christ, the gospel. So teach the word. As you go and, and make a disciple, teach the word. As you go and target a people, teach the word. Paul says to Timothy, preach, uh, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebu- rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why specifically the word and not you know, church traditions or what you know, the pastor said or, or what the pope said? Well, because 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture alone is our highest authority when it comes to faith and practice. Sola Scriptura. Again, that's what we're imparting that's what we're, we're teaching our disciples. 
It's the commands of Christ, the word of Christ that we are passing on to the the people that we are trying to reach. So church, that's our faith goal this year. We want to reach a people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They see lives changed by the gospel. And it starts by committing to discipleship. Committing to disciple someone or, like I said, be a disciple to someone. That's how we mature. That's how we grow in our own faith. And then that overflows to evangelism as we go into our, uh, into our other communities, as we go to work, as we go to school. The goal is to connect, to build relationships, relationships so that we can bring the gospel into people's lives, proclaiming the truths and the promises of God's word. Church, let's reach a people at whatever the cost. You know, this sermon really hit home for me this week as I was preparing for it. It came at a heavy cost, I think. On Monday, I found out that one of my best friends from high school, Cody, his name was, he committed suicide this past year. And it's crazy because, you know, as I look back on my old friends, I always thought that one day, one of these days, I'm going to go back and share the gospel with them. I'm going to win them for Christ. This is my goal. This is my desire. And Cody was at the top of that list. He was definitely one of my best friends, and we went through so much during high school. But, again, hearing this news as earlier in the week, it just hit me that it was too late. Too late to share the gospel. And I was putting it off. Life got busy, and never, we never got the chance to talk again. And it breaks my heart that he was going through so much hardships and hopelessness and trials to the point that he had to take his own life. And in this entire week, I kept thinking to myself, if only he heard the gospel. If only he heard the gospel. Church, there are many Cody's out there struggling with depression and hopelessness and brokenness and sin. They only hear the gospel. We believe in a God who can save anybody. We believe that the gospel does change lives. It does break people from, from sin. It gives people hope. So church, we need to go out and, and, and reach a people. Paul says throughout, throughout his missionary journey, throughout the trials that he faced, as he, he, he journeyed preaching the gospel at whatever the cost, I love what he says, the summation of his sentiments in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Church, if you believe that, if you believe, if that's what your faith is in as well, don't be ashamed of the gospel. This year, let's reach people for Christ. Let's make disciples. Let's pray. Oh, holy God, we are so immersed, oh Lord, in your mercies and your grace. We are absolutely reminded, oh God, of the beautiful hope that you have entrusted to us in us uh, jars made of clay, Lord. 
And God, I pray that we would not squander our time in this world. That we would not squander, O Lord, Lord, the light that you have given us. That as you call us to do, that we would be a light to this darkened world. That we would let our light shine, the light of the gospel. I pray, O God, for forgiveness wherever we have strayed, where we have been putting it off, where we have been procrastinating or sharing the gospel to our friends, our loved ones who are dying and going to hell. I pray, O Lord, that you'd bring fresh conviction, fresh joy over the salvation that we have, over the gospel that we carry. That once again, you would light a fire in us, an urgency in us, O Lord, to go and make disciples, to go and reach a people for the glory of your name. God, I pray that you would help us accomplish this this vision, help us accomplish this goal, that every one of us in this room would go and make a disciple, would go and be a disciple. And that, God, we would do whatever it takes in the short time that we have Go and bring the good news to a people who need it, who are desperate for it. Oh God, would you be glorified in our lives, in your people's lives. And I pray that you would change us this day. In Jesus, your mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.